I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Hello and welcome to the Irish Times Inside Business podcast uh, presented by Tom Lyons. On this week's podcast, we have finance correspondent Kieran Hancock and we have Mark Paul, business affairs correspondent, to discuss some of this week's top business stories. Uh, later, we'll be talking to personal finance expert and deputy business editor of the Irish Times, Dominic Coyle, who's going to pick through what 400,000 lucky Irish people need to do with their Vodafone shares. And we're going to be talking to Dara Hickey of the Dublin Web Summit, now the Summit, who is in Davos, Switzerland. But first, we're going to look at some of the business stories. Mark Paul, Dennis O'Brien did a did an interesting interview this week with the Financial Times where he spoke about his plans for a massive push to expand the telecoms business, Digicel. What did you make of the interview and its, its timing uh, just ahead of this, the, the Davos Forum? Well, I mean, I mean, clearly he's trying to send a message that he still has big plans for Digicel um, and that the company is worth a lot of money, in his opinion. And, 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 and you know, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's clearly a successful company. He, what I thought was interesting was, was, was when he spoke about, um, um, you know, a massive push for Digicel. It's in the markets that it's in already, there's not an awful let, left, let, you know, left to take. Um, so that means expanding into, in, into whole new frontiers. Um, um, it'll, he spoke about a change in the world order of, 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 of telecommunications and it'll be interesting to see what he means by that. It, you know, effectively that means going into entirely new territories like perhaps Latin America. Now that would put him toe-to-toe um, with his old friend Carl Slim. Um, um, and, uh, uh, you know, Telefonica um, um, obviously has been shedding assets um, um, around the world or is planning to shed assets around the world. Um, where Dennis O'Brien and Digicel to pick up some of those assets in Latin America that, again, will put them across the table from, from Carlos Slim, who's the richest man in the world. So I think there's an intriguing um, battle ahead in, in, in the world telecommunications market. And Dennis O'Brien obviously feels that he has a part to play in that. And where do you think, Kieran? you know, Dennis O'Brien, there's a lot of attention there recently where, where when it came out that he'd paid himself a $650 million dividend uh, from Digicel. Do you think that this is part of his, his conversation with his bondholders and banks to kind of explain, look, you know, I've taken this money, but... There's a plan in place. Absolutely, no, definitely, I do. It's an extraordinary dividend, six hundred and fifty million dollars. Um, I, I did a quick uh, back of the envelope calculation there a few minutes ago, and he's taken about one point nine billion dollars out of Digicels uh, since uh, 2008. But this 650 is the biggest bite so far. I think the biggest chunk before that um, was something of the order of 800 million back in 2008 um, when he did a major refinancing. Um, so I think you're right. I think this is a play towards a nod towards 
towards the uh, the bondholders and the debt uh, holders as well, because it is a heavily indebted company. That look, uh, everything's okay. We're uh, we're on track. We're going to continue to grow at substantial rates. We're going to continue to generate a lot of cash, um, and you will get your money back. And just to follow up on Mark's point, uh, I mean the one kind of outlier, outlier if you like, in the Caribbean that they haven't yet been able to tap is Cuba. It's a very big market, um, uh, probably I, I guess the biggest. Um, uh, in the Caribbean, certainly the biggest that's untapped. Uh, if that market were to open up in the next few years, it would be a very interesting proposition for Digicel. I have to say there's no sign that that's going to happen just yet. Obviously, it's still still uh, very much uh, communist controlled, but, you know, they're opening up in other areas, so th- there is that possibility, and, I guess. And, and Africa, again, is another opportunity for Digicel. I mean, it's it's prime Digicel territory. Um, you know, I mean, uh, you know, kind of vast swathes of the population don't have mobile phones, um, and the middle class is starting to grow in, in, in a lot of territories in Africa. If you look at Ethiopia as one country, in particular that, that Dennis O'Brien um, seems to be looking at and he's hinted that he's looking at. I mean, he gave an interview, a very interesting interview in December um, where he was asked about Ethiopia and um, he said, I like Ethiopia um, um, and I like investing in countries I like visiting. Um, so I think that's that's one market to look out for. I mean, he's already tried to have a bite at the African market before. I mean, I mean, prior to the fall of Gaddafi, he uh, he was looking at at, at at trying to get a license for Libya. So, um, you know, he's, um, he's, 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 he's looking to try and plant more flags in, in, in different continents and different parts of the globe. Yeah, he's probably feeling a little bit chastened as well by what happened in uh, Myanmar or Burma, as um, some people um, still refer to it. Um, he spent, by his own admission, they spent $31 million uh, putting together their bid document. Um, and I think they were pretty confident that they were going to succeed in Myanmar, um, but it didn't happen. And they put in place a lot of infrastructure. Um, they, they acquired sites for masts and so forth. Um, and they'd also invested a lot of money uh, in sponsorships locally with football teams and, and the like. They'd put a lot of people on the ground. These are the kind of tricks of the trade, if you like, that O'Brien had used very successfully in the Caribbean. He'd also um, done it to a degree in Ireland as well, back in the ESAT days. Um, and ultimately, Myanmar um, didn't come off, and now they're having to kind of make the best of it in terms of trying to do something on the infrastructure side out there. And uh, Mark, if you look at, you know, like Dennis O'Brien, he's talking about going, he likes going to sunny places, mm-hmm. places that, you know, like the Caribbean or, you know, the Pacific Islands. But he's very negative about Europe, you know, where he's saying that, you know, there's failed policy in relation to telecoms. Uh, does do you think that he's very much ruling out any move movement towards Europe or Ireland in the short to medium term at least? Well, he's given he's given what I, what I would classify as, as slightly mixed messages in Europe in, in in the last number of weeks. I mean, if you if, if you look at Ireland, um, um, uh, you know, kind of as a microcosm of, of everything that's been wrong with the European uh, economy over the last while, um, um, you know, kind of to take for example the fact that he's just um, um, bought out all the loans for Topaz. I mean, that's really a bet on the Irish consumer. Now, I know it's not telecoms, um, um, but you know, it's 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 a bet on the Irish market and a bet on and a bet on recovery and consumer spending. I mean, as he said himself in his Financial Times interview, I've been investing heavily in Ireland because I believe in it. In in, in terms of Europe and telecoms, I mean, Dennis O'Brien's you know problem and, and and he said it a lot of times is that you know the European market is overregulated and and, and the costs that that uh, companies have to pay for for Spectrum is too high, which means there's not enough um, um, investment left in the companies in in order to build out their networks and so on. I mean, you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't necessarily rule him out of, of further future telecoms investments in Ireland either you know I, th- I think his problem with Europe is also the fact that he has a, a major he has a tribunal report um, 
which is very negative uh, on how the second mobile phone license was won by his company um, here and, you know, uh, raises questions about the relationship he had with the then communications uh, minister and so forth. And I think that's probably a... Um, uh, that that mightn't sit well with uh, uh, you know across Europe with uh, a lot of uh, regulators. Well, uh, like, uh, Brian was in Davos this week too, and he was he was very negative about politicians in general, which he say he described them as some of the things which are holding back growth worldwide because they're only thinking short term about the next election. Yeah. Uh, well, well, I mean, I mean, for politicians, you could also read regulation. You know, I mean. Um, um, you know, kind of markets that are that are immature in their regulation or, or that have really lax regulation are obviously better for companies like Digicel to expand in, to expand rapidly. They can deploy capital rapidly without wondering whether or not it's going to get sucked up by um, by regulatory costs and, 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 and obstacles put in the way of regulation. They can earn their money back a lot quicker. So, yeah, I mean, look, politicians uh, are, are effectively responsible for creating regulations um, and politicians oversee the agencies that, that create the regulations. And, and, and I guess what he's saying is that, you know, if the European market wants to build out better services and better infrastructure that they need to lower the levels of regulation so that companies are more willing to invest because it's investment ultimately that, 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 that improves the market. Yeah, and I think one of the things he's found in the Caribbean is that regulators are starting to become more interested in uh, Digicel's activities. If you look at the bond documents that have been produced over the last uh, few years for Digicel, you'll find that there are several markets in which regulators are putting the squeeze on Digicel in one way or another and, and there are various actions in place. In, uh, Jamaica springs to mind. There are a couple of other markets as well, you know, and rates interconnection rates and stuff like that um, are starting to go up. And there is concern, I think, growing in the Caribbean that Digicel's market share uh, is perhaps too high um, and that, uh, you know, steps need to be taken to ensure that uh, other competitors can come into the marketplace. And Dennis O'Brien, of course, is a shareholder in Independent News and Media, the publisher of the Irish Independent and the Sunday Independent, among others. Uh, Mark, you had a story about a, a, a fellow shareholder with O'Brien in INM, uh, Dermot Desmond, uh, on Wednesday. It's pretty bizarre stuff, a, a big row with a former business partner. What was that story all about? Basically, it's a, it's a, it's, it's, it's a, a, a court case that... that uh, uh, Dermot Desmond has taken against um, um, a guy called Paul Siegel and, and, and his company Globecon, um, which is actually a commercial rival of, 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 of Dermot Desmond's Intuition Publishing. That's an e-publisher who publishes um, educational, uh, electronic educational materials for, for, for businesses. Um, the genesis of their row goes back about, uh, about 11 or 12 years um, um, when Globecon um, and tried to sue uh, Dermot Desmond's Intuition Publishing um, over allegations uh, um, of, 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 of basically um, the appropriation of its intellectual property. Um, now, that case uh, um, was dismissed for lack of evidence. Um, um, and and, and there, was, there was obviously bitterness between um, um, the two sides following that. Um, and um, a couple of years later, um, um, Paul Siegel and Globecon, and he has admitted this, uh, um, um, set up a, a, an anonymous website called meetdermotdesmond.com, a spoof website purporting to be, uh, a satirical website purporting to be written by De- Dermot Desmond, when it clearly wasn't, um, um, with a number of very outlandish and highly defamatory, um, it would seem, claims um, about Dermot Desmond on, on the website. Dermot Desmond managed to unmask um, and Paul Siegel uh, uh, and Globecon as the publishers of this website, and he sued him for defamation. Now, what he's succeeded in doing quite recently 
is having it turned not just from a defamation case but into a federal racketeering case under RICO laws. RICO are, are, are the laws that were brought in in the US in order to combat the mafia. Um, um, and uh, uh, you know, Dermot Desmond is a very uh, you know he's a very persistent man in 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 in, in disputes. And I think at one stage, um, um, Paul Siegel uh, uh, you know kind of uh, uh, wrote a letter to to Dermot Desmond. And this has come out in the evidence where he you know, spoke about his own tenacity and so on, and 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 that he you know that he wanted money from Dermot Desmond because of their previous commercial dispute. And Dermot Desmond replied to him that you know he would basically teach him the meaning of the word tenacity. And I think um, um, you know it's uh, it's an ongoing case. I mean the case has yet to come to trial, but Dermot Desmond um, um, and the, the most recent aspect of it and what sparked the story this week was that Dermot Desmond is due to give um, a deposition case. Now that's that's oral testimony um, and that where he can be cross examined. Now that's highly interesting because you know Dermot Desmond doesn't speak in public. You know you know you know regardless of uh, of, of, of of legal proceedings. Um, he doesn't speak in public an awful lot, um, and it would be interesting to, to to hear the deposition. Now, obviously, that's not open to the public. But what he's tried to do is he's tried to get Paul Siegel restrained from revealing the details of the deposition publicly. Um, um, but it would be very interesting to see what comes out of that. Well, <coughs> clearly, Dermot Desmond is taking this case uh, very seriously. Uh, Kieran, this week in in your column, uh, the bottom line, you know, you were looking at the challenges facing the new financial regulator, uh, Cyril Roux. Uh, what do you think are the big ones for the Frenchman? Well, there's a number on his plate, if you like. Mortgage arrears, uh, I guess, is a big one. Uh, and it's one that everybody is focused on. There's about 100,000 people uh, with home or home loans uh, in arrears of 90 days or more. So that's a lar- large cohort of um, the home loans uh, market. Um, it's a problem that's been festering for quite a while. Uh, we haven't got to grips to it yet, but progress has been made, um, probably too slowly, really. Uh, so that's something that he's going to have to deal with. That probably won't be dealt with this year, realistically. That's probably going to take a few years um, to deal with. There's also the issue of SME debt, which is actually um, larger in quantum, if you like, for the banks, than, uh, remarkably, than the uh, residential home loans. Uh, and then you've got other issues like we're going to have in November this year, uh, we're due to have the uh, new SSM um, single supervisory mechanism set up across the Eurozone. So effectively, the ECB in Frankfurt will be responsible for the supervision of uh, all financial institutions um, across the Eurozone. Now, what that means is that um, the major institutions in each country will be directly regulated by Frankfurt and it will um, subcontract, if you like, um, the regulation of the other institutions to the local national regulator. Now, he sits on the board of um, the supervisory board for, uh, or what will be the supervisory board for, for the SSM. Um, so he's going to have a, a part to play, if you like, in the establishment of that. Before that's established, um, we're going to have some comprehensive balance sheet assessments and capital stress tests undertaken uh, on all the banks within the Eurozone. That includes the likes of Bank of Ireland, AIB, Permanent TSB, etc. The big concern, obviously, is that those tests might show that there is an extra uh, capital requirement. At the minute, we don't have the, the methodology or the rules around the tests. They, they probably won't be released until next month. But the concern would be that um, you know the, the Irish banks might fail those tests uh, in some way and that they might require more capital. And in the case of AIB and permanent TSB, the only recourse is probably to the state. Bank of Ireland can probably go to private investors, but uh, AIB and permanent TSB would probably have to go... Um, to the state looking for more capital. Now, at the minute, they're well capitalized. They're well above the 10.5% core tier one ratio set by the central bank, which in turn is ahead of the, the European uh, requirement of, uh, I think it's about 8.5%. 
But So we'll have to see what requirement is set down as part of these stress tests in, in terms of core tier one and what rules they apply. Because it all depends at the end of the day what, what questions you ask in the tests as to whether or not a bank will uh, pass it or not. Well, Kieran Hancock and Mark Paul of the Irish Times business team, uh, thanks for coming on to the podcast this week. We're going over to Switzerland now and Dara Hickey, uh, one of the people behind what was the Dublin Web Summit, but which has since expanded and rebranded to become known as the Summit. Dara, you've been involved with bringing some of the biggest names in technology to Dublin. How does Davos in Switzerland compare as a networking experience? Well, I think what's interesting is that, uh, you know, the people here go way beyond technology. You've got the, the biggest oil and steel magnets in the world. Last night um, uh, at dinner, we met uh, somebody who is the, the CEO of the largest energy company in India. Um, and uh, another person who dropped by was the, the in South Korea. Um, so it's, a, it's a, a much wider mix of people than you would get at the, the summit or, or, or founders. And the the Web Summit is well known for its pub crawls and interesting nights out. How does uh, Davos compare in terms of the nightlife? Is it good fun or is it very is it more staid and a bit boring? Well, you know, Davos is quite interesting. Um, apparently, it's a great time of year being in Davos. It's at you know right in the in the mountains of Switzerland, in in in, in a valley about two and a half hours from from Zurich by car. Um, so a lot of people get a little skiing in in the morning. Um, that is, if you haven't been partying until very very late in the piano bar. Um, and the piano bar is uh, just a. a quite a bizarre place the great and the good mix there but but uh you know you, you, it doesn't have any strict door policy or anything like that so anyone can get in and it's somewhat similar to um it, in ireland it might be similar to something like coppers um and just with a very different crowd a crowd of ceos and and and, and billionaires um but the atmosphere is quite similar in that everybody's certainly having a very very good time um and uh, having a few drinks and singing along to the various songs on, on, on the piano. And Dari, you're saying, uh, you, you said this week, uh, that the summit plans to uh, launch a new project in Las Vegas. Uh, can you tell me a little bit about what, what, what you guys plan to do there, yourself and uh, Paddy Cosgrave? Yeah, so myself, Paddy, and, and, and Dave, um, and our, our wonderful team, uh, launched our, our new event, Collision, yesterday. Um, last year, we did two small events, um, intimate uh, only events for top-tier startups uh, in New York and San Francisco. Um, and this year, we are going to do Collision in Las Vegas. So there's some interesting things happening in Las Vegas, because obviously, it's, it's, it's known for lots of different things, but hasn't necessarily been known for, for its tech uh, communities. Um, but Tony, Tony Shea, who is the CEO of Zappos, which is a, uh, a shoe company, an online shoe retailer that was acquired by Amazon a few years ago, um, he has uh, spent uh, a small fortune on property in creating this amazing project, rejuvenating downtown Las Vegas. And um, what was once uh, a lost area um, has now become a space for artists and for, for startups and tech enthusiasts. So part of what we'll do is be showing people how incredible um, that part of Las Vegas is and how Las Vegas is a, is a great destination. Um, and then the conference itself will be somewhat similar to the, to the Web Summit, except that uh, it's uh, roughly about 1,000 people on the Web Summit, of course. 10,000 people with multiple stages. Um, the concentration will be on, on startups, companies who... Are um, you know might have raised two to three million dollars in revenue, um, and are looking to scale and have those enormous 
uh, problems of growth and how do we how do we get bigger and how do we um, uh, deal with that uh, deal with our, our, our company and how do we um, uh, ensure that we can scale in, a, in an efficient way. And finally, Dara, how does Collision fit in with with the overall plan for Summit and your your conference and networking business? I mean, how do you think that? How big do you think that business is going to get over time? Yeah, well, you know, conferences are interesting. I conferences in the U.S. are a one quarter of a trillion dollar industry. Um, conferences in uh, uh, Germany, for instance. Uh, where where I've been for the last few days, are a billion dollar industry. Um, so, with that in mind, I think there's a lot of there's a lot of potential. Um, tech is very hot right now. It's very very interesting. And um, there's a lot of demand. When we uh, announced Collision yesterday, uh, we had over two thousand people sign up and say they were interested in in attending. Um, so that gives us a good indication that there's there's quite a, quite a bit of demand in regards to the company itself. You know, we're, we're fine-tuning the, the, the summit, and it'll be bigger next year, and we'll go after more verticals. Um, and then, you know, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll look at uh, various different industries and, and see if we can replicate what we did with the summit in those industries. Thanks for your time, Dara Hickey. For the final part of the Inside Business podcast, we're being joined by Dominic Coyle, a deputy business editor with the Irish Times, to discuss what should, you should do if you're one of the 400,000 people who own Vodafone shares. Uh, let's just take a step back first, Dominic, and explain what's the big picture here. I mean, what exactly is going on uh, for Irish Vodafone shareholders that, that people are discussing things so much? Well, the big picture is uh, uh, Vodafone, uh, in which a lot of Irish people have shares, is uh, selling its U.S. business to its U.S. partner, Verizon. Uh, The reason why so many Irish people are involved is that way back in 1999, they bought into Telecom Aaron, the first big flotation by by the Irish government. And um, when Telecom Aaron subsequently sold their mobile arm, Aircel, to Vodafone, they received Vodafone shares by payment. So that's why... They've got a big interest in this U.S. Anglo deal. And you've been doing some calculations, Dominic. I mean, do you have any sense of how much the average person uh, might make if, if they choose to sell? Well, Vodafone, the figures are illustrative at the moment because obviously they won't be tied down totally until 21st of February when the deal is completed. But for illustration purposes, Vodafone has said that they expect people to get about £1.05 per share. Now, in, in, our, in euro terms, that's €1.25. We reckon the average Irish shareholder has just shy of 1,300 shares, about 1,280. And on that basis, they will be getting a payment of about 1,600 euro, partly in cash and partly in shares of this company, Verizon. So 1,300 euros, uh, even if perhaps you've had to wait 15 years for it, if, if, if you bought in or if you got your, your shares originally. Uh, do you have any, uh, like, like what advice would you give shareholders now? You know, like what are the key things they need to do initially? Well, there are several things. There are several deadlines. First of all, there's a deadline this Sunday for voting on the deal to determine whether it should go ahead at all. To do so, shareholders need to fill up a blue and a yellow form that they've got in their information packs if they've held on to it. And I've heard from several people who actually threw that straight in the bin, so they won't be voting. But whether you vote or not doesn't affect whether you'll get your windfall. That's merely to say whether the deal goes through. Thereafter, by the 20th of February, you must send back a white form that you got or that you can get again from Vodafone, indicating whether you want to receive that windfall by way of capital or income. And that choice is important because it determines whether you're going to pay tax or not. 
And the, you know, talking about tax, Dominic, I mean, the Revenue Commissioner has published some guidelines this week. Uh, where are they available and what are the, the, the key things people need to consider? They're available on the Revenue website, revenue.ie, uh, and on the homepage there's a, there's a link there to click into the, the guidance on this deal. Revenue makes clear the guidance is only uh, provisional guidance because, like everyone else, they must wait until the final figures are, are put together in February. But the important things are if you choose the income option, you will have to pay income tax. That's the default option. If you do nothing, that's what will happen. You will get it as income and you'll be liable to income tax, not just on the cash, but also on the value of the Verizon shares and also including universal social charge and PRSI. If you choose the capital option, revenue has worked it out and has determined that notwithstanding the good news that you're getting some money, you're still at a loss on these shares. And therefore, if you choose the capital option, you will not have to pay tax as long as these are shares that you have held right back since 1999 when the telecom air inflotation uh, occurred. So choosing the capital option seems to be a bit of a no-brainer. For everyone whose who shares relate to that original telecom air inflotation, absolutely it's a no-brainer. If you bought shares more recently, well then it's it could be slightly different. But for the original shareholders, a no-brainer. And digging through your, your mailbox, Dominic, you've picked out a couple of questions. Uh, w- one of them from a reader is saying, you know, that they've that they've that they, they received the big package from Vodafone outlining everything, and they've 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 chucked it out and put it into the recycling bin. Uh, what can you do there if 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 you've lost touch with all of these documents? Um, you're in a bit of a problem, all right, because you can't. First of all, you can't vote without uh, without sending back the documents. That may be not critical because the deal will probably go through anyway. More importantly, if you don't send back the documents, they will assume you're taking the default option. For our shareholders, the important thing is that means you'll get this as income and you'll be liable for tax. My suggestion, if you have junked the documents, and more than one reader has been in touch with me to say they have, you should ring Vodafone's helpline, which is a Dublin number, 696-8421, and ask them to send out the documents to you again. And most of the commentary has been about whether the cash element of the sale should be taken as income or capital gain. But could you clarify how any subsequent sale of the Verizon shares should be treated? I presume these would be subject to capital gains tax rules? Yes, they would. And in the revenue guidance, the revenue is assuming, actually, that that you will sell those Verizon shares immediately. Uh, The Verizon shares you will get, just for illustration, for every 40 Vodafone shares you currently own, you will get 35 or 40, you will get one share in Verizon. So for a lot of people who hold, let's say, the minimum Vodafone holding of about 40 to 50 shares, which is the the minimum that a lot of Irish shareholders have, you will only get one share in Verizon. Do you really want to hold on to that? Almost certainly you're better advised to use the the commission-free dealing service that they're offering to sell that Verizon share. Revenues calculation has assumed that that's what you'll do, and you still, on capital gains rules, will not have any capital gains tax uh, liability. And is there any other point you'd make, Dominic? I mean, you've covered uh, some of the, the very important areas there in terms of the deadlines and in terms of tax treatment. Is there anything else that you, you, you'd, you'd say to readers? Uh, just, just a couple of things. Mind the deadlines. This Sunday to vote, 20th, 20th of February to, to get your selection in, 4th of April if you want to sell the shares on the low-cost uh, option that they're giving you. Make sure you sign the documents. Everybody who owns the shares, if you bought for your children, your name and your child's name, even if they're now grown up, will still be on those shares unless you transfer them. Both of you need to sign, otherwise the document is invalid. And also, bear in mind, you will, after all this, still have shares in Vodafone. A reader was on to me asking about that. You don't lose all your rights to Vodafone shares. You get this windfall, and you will still have a stake in Vodafone at the end of it.
Well, thank you for that, Dominic. Uh, if you've got further questions on this matter, you contact uh, Dominic at dcoyle at irishtimes.com. And that's it for the Irish Times Inside Business Show. Uh, it was presented by myself, Tom Lyons, produced by Sinead O'Shea, and the sound engineer was Rob O'Sullivan. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm.